Time now for Artsing Around with Andrew Dembina, and he joins me now. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sadia. So, Great day today. You yeah. might not be able to see it from the new studio, but uh, it's a sunny one. And it's 29 degrees, which is pretty wow. hot, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. But it's not to 29 degrees in the studio. <laughs> right, so what have <laughs> you got right. for me today? I've got your photographs, and they're all on um, my Facebook page if people want to go to the Fantastic. Facebook page. Brilliant. That, that's great. Well, um, I sent Sardius for the listeners' benefit, two pictures today. We're going to start with the first one, which is a uh, an image of a very famous artist, uh, late artist, Claude Monet. I mean, mm. he's an impressionist. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, do you want to describe it? Uh, oh, I'm just, I'm just getting lots of flowers. Which, which flowers? I'm trying to just, uh, are they kind of like... Um, chrysanthemums, yeah, I think. I yeah, mean, that, lots of different coloured chrysanthemums. And the, and the whole frame is just full of them. So yellow ones, pink ones, orange ones, light pink ones. Really lovely. Oh, I love it. It's, it. it's actually beautiful. Mm. What a beautiful painting. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it, it, I mean, the artist Claude Monet is best known for his water lilies, and he did countless paintings of water lilies after seeing uh, Japanese paintings that featured water lilies in carp-filled ponds. And, in fact, he was so taken by this, and he became, unlike many artists of his era, that's... Uh, 19th and 20th century, early 20th century artists in the Impressionist movement. He managed to become successful in his own lifetime and enjoy some of the good fortune that, uh, that he got for fetching, you know, decent prices for, with uh, collectors snapping up his paintings. And he even built uh, uh, his own Japanese-style garden, which is still around in a place called Giverny in France today where people can go, and I must go there one day, it's a kind of art pilgrimage, to go and see the faux Japanese garden that he made with a wooden bridge going over a lily pond, uh, and, uh, and uh, which he painted uh, all hours of the day to capture sunlight at different, at different times. Um, that was the other thing that a lot of Impressionists did. Anyway, this is a close-up of a, of a, of a lot of uh, really beautifully painted, colourful, chrysanthemums, as Sadia said. But it's an example of one painting that was sold uh, last year, 2021, because the art market um, amazingly grew 29% oh, in wow. 2021. Wow. I mean, we know there have been a few different growth mm. industries uh, during the pandemic, right? <laughs> and um, food, food and drink takeaway and a few others that we could possibly name. But it's uh, not everyone's done 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 well but it seems that the sales i remember um during during last year talking to noreen about the fact that some paintings and works of art and also wine had achieved record prices in auction mm. and i guess when people can't go out much yeah they're just are, going online and buying things that's all yeah buying things yeah. and to be honest if people can't travel much or have not been able to over the last two or so years then, uh, then they do, if, uh, if they haven't lost their jobs and if they're able to kind of continue working, then they do have money spent in other ways. Mm -hmm. But it's a key annual study. It's the sixth one um, that is, in, is between uh, Art Basel, the art fair organisation, and UBS, the financial company. They put out this art market report. It was published uh, last Tuesday, and it said that 
sales through fine arts reached an estimated 65.1 billion US dollars in Hong Kong money. That's oh. 510 billion Hong Kong dollars. Um, that's just in one year through the different types of sales, not just auction, galleries, online sales, all kind of fine art sales. That's amazing. And that is up. Mm. Yeah, it's up 20, 29% on 2020. But the, the figures that they have put forward have come under some critical uh, comments, and we'll get on to those in a moment. But let's just have a look at uh, what they found first before we hear what the critics of their findings mm. say. The, the figure then, as I mentioned, combines gallery and auction uh, sales, and not uh, whether, whether online or in physical form for both uh, uh, people bidding or, or people going to galleries, because the one thing that has been phenomenal has been galleries and art fairs that have not been able to hold things, putting them online, like all of the other kind of arts events, so that people can, uh, if it's a sculpture, walk around it in, in a 3D, sorry, in a 360 video that's been made of sculptures and all of these kind of ways to try and emulate as best possible the real life experience of viewing and enjoying especially if you're going to own it fine art the um the the, the person who actually is, is responsible for this report her name is claire mcandrew she's dublin ireland based she's a cultural economist who made this report for art Buzzle and ubs uh, for their sixth edition of this annual report. And she noted that there was robust growth, particularly in the auction sector, with secondary sales. That means people selling on works that they'd bought um, originally or that have been owned multiple times, um, selling high-end works of art. So it's the really big-name tickets, like the Monet in the mm, picture that, mm. I, that I sent you. Mm -hmm. And um, changing hands, and these have been the ones that have really driven those high figures. And both uh, auction and dealer sales were already uh, doing badly from about the beginning of 2020 because people were really wondering what was going on with COVID. And it seems that as people have got used to this, you know, over two-year period of time going on, which has made a huge impact around the world on the way people can do things, uh, as we said already, that people just got stuck in mm. to buying and selling their artworks. There's, um, looking at trend in this, in this report, as they do uh, this, uh, you know, annual assessment of fine art, they say that uh, hybrid online and live formats have become substantially improved in terms of quality and production efficiency mm. because in different parts of the world, of course, at times, including Hong Kong for a lot of the time until recently, we were in the, the position where, uh, and there are representatives of, of some of the biggest auction houses in the world who were, ha who were having live people, if distancing was required, there was distancing um, in Hong Kong to bid in person while some other bids had to be taken um, by either video or phone, mm. because quite often, yeah, people who are working for, for galleries or big museums will come in person to bid. They will come in person to examine with a, an art authenticator mm. to make sure that it is what it's claiming to be. And normally you will get this, you know, when there are millions of US dollars being spent on paintings, which is quite common with the big names, they really need to make That's sure right. of authenticity. Yeah. yeah. 
So the, um, the, the, the dealer survey, though, came under criticism, as I mentioned, partic- uh, by a number of people, but I'll mention just one. There's a, there's a Belgian collector who's very revered in the European world of fine art. His name is Alain Survey, and he's a regular buyer um, and dealer of contemporary art at both fairs and auctions. And he says that this year, the report, which was based, by the way, on... 800 survey uh, responses as well as looking examining figures about how much uh, artworks fetched but survey responses were were um, coming from galleries and auction houses he says that survey the critic that uh, the turnover of uh, of more than uh, 1 million US dollars a year was supplied by 37% of the responses it means that people from galleries that made a net selling of one million US dollars or more were the ones that had been asked at galleries or auction houses to give their response on how the market had gone. Mm-hmm. So the comments that have been made on what is robust and what is not, he can't argue with the prices that were taken. Those are indisputable. Mm-hmm. But he thinks that comments should have been coming in from some of the more affordable type of um, type of artists. Um, last Saturday uh, or a couple of Saturdays ago in a, on a live programme that I do on this very radio station. This isn't just a, a, a plug for the sake of it. <laughs> um, I, I, I spoke to a 17-year-old um, uh, would-be artist who's a student doing her uh, either A-levels or IB, mm-hmm. who, um, who I came across in a Discovery Bay magazine who is raising money for charity, for animal charity, by, by taking commissions of people's pets. Oh. And... When you, yeah, I mean, I mean, she's doing something for charity, but, but, I, but I, the reason I'm mentioning that is that there are people who are kind of more community artists that, that may sell works for very low amounts. Mm-hmm. And these type of figures and what are the trends in your average person who maybe can't you afford... You don't pick up on those, yeah. Have, yeah. Yeah, if you want to have a painting on your wall and you can't even, you know, reach up to a thousand Hong Kong dollars because that might be beyond one's means... Mm-hmm then those that are, are those kind of figures taken into account. This is what the critic is yes, asking. Yes, yes. So it's just interesting. The, uh, so he said that the survey was over-reliant on the larger galleries and auction houses. Claire McAndrew, the one who conducted the report, um, uh, noted the critic's comments and said that the, the report was focused on the tradi- what she said was the traditional infrastructure of the art trade. So I suppose when it's so people then, going the on their local <laughs> Facebook marketplace yes. to sell a painting, those wouldn't have yeah, those wouldn't yeah, have got in, yeah. in the net. What wasn't taken account for, though, and gives me the opportunity to mention our favourite three letters, <laughs> just in passing. The whole week. NFT what are, what are scene. They, and the NFT yeah. scene. <laughs> NFT. Well, there was, um, she said it does not take into account the huge universe, yeah. as she put it, Absolutely. outside of those traditional structures, with NFT being um, the primary means of uh, of high value art being sold in the past year mm-hmm. because those those platforms are which he says are producing uh, jaw dropping figures and i think we've dropped our jaw when we've heard some of those yeah. figures over the last few weeks and um, you do see a lot of it around you do see nft galleries and things like that so i just walking yeah. through hong kong i've seen a few and i was like yeah. oh here it is again <laughs> That's what. Oh yeah, maybe the first time you saw it. Oh, okay, that's what NFT. NFT. It can be because it can be can be so many things in digital format, mm, can't it? Mm. But um, but the the sales of uh, NFT related art increased over a hundredfold. She says, reaching what she reckons is two point six billion US dollars. Two point six billion 
US. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, about, um, let me see, about 20 billion Hong Kong dollars Gosh. in NFT collectibles. Um, so the, that, that, that's just something that's hanging in the air because it came out over the last week as to asking a few questions. On the one, on the one hand, there's no doubt that 2021 just beat the pants off 2020 for fine art being sold in general. But were the two partners who do, who are the big names like uh, UBS is the big sponsor for Art mm -hmm. Buzzle, mm -hmm. which has art fair here in Hong Kong, um, one in Miami and the original one in Basel, uh, Switzerland. But, um, but do they just really focus on those big high ticket, high price institutions? That's the question. I'll leave that one dangling in mm -hmm. the air mm -hmm. while we move on to the next, uh, uh sort of topic which is that uh, another picture that i sent to you was a, a, a an image of a very very packed concert Music which is sort of thing that we can't yeah. imagine seeing in hong kong for uh, a long time yeah. which is in a uh, an open-air music festival called joyland bali 2022 and it marks a major return for the indonesian entertainment and arts sector and specifically for the music festival area. Um, it had been postponed for the last two years. Um, first, uh, well, the last one was held in 2020. And the, the, sorry, it was postponed from 2020 and 2021 was also postponed. So the last one was to 2019. And normally it's in Jakarta. That's where it grew up. Jakarta-based festival, but it finally had a debut in Bali with uh, top-billing musicians, mm. yeah, not 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 international ones. It was all domestic. That's mm -hmm. what they mm -hmm. that's what they're focusing on. They've got a big population over there, and so you had every genre of music from jazz to hip hop to rock and roll to everyday kind of very very popular mainstream pop, that's and even amazing. some experimental stuff. I read in an article article in the Jakarta um, Post. The whole thing happened. At the weekend just gone and it was a three-day festival people stayed in bali traveled from around the country to go there and there were different as well as concert stages there were stand-up comedians there were outdoor wow. screenings of uh, films both long and short it just sounds like you know a very appealing a very appealing type After of so festival. long as well i think it's just like would have attracted a huge crowd yeah, they really, they did. They didn't, uh, the story didn't say what the figures were, but mm. there were several different stages and people were apparently going from one to the other. I should imagine there were tens of thousands, but I'm just guessing. I think uh, people were having been starved of it for so long. While the pandemic is not over, the article said in the Jakarta Post, the, and uh, the current health situations progressed to the point where people in Indonesia have fewer restrictions, um, and it was, sort of went on to describe how they also felt safer being together, uh, masks were not worn. It was oh. all, all, the, all the kind Gosh. of stuff that we've seen happening in, in yeah, Europe okay. and, and mm. America for quite some time now. Yeah. And um, the Indonesian entertainment industry have welcomed welcomed this. You know, been lots of public statements, also from the government, because they're just happy to be getting on with with uh, you know things which are life positive things. Mm. And so um, the Jakarta Post also says that uh, it was. Uh, it was a really <laughs> great move to go from uh, outside of Jakarta to a park venue, which was in Nusa Dua, which is an area, one of the bays in Bali, with a wide 
white sand beach as a backdrop. Sounds all right, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So... There was um, there was something. People had different feelings, though. Performers were interviewed, and one of the bands, which is called Girl Gang, all female band, mm-hmm. um, was uh, the lead singer. Said, "I was a bit nervous because we're still in the middle of a pa- pandemic, right?" She said. <laughs> um, but the bassist of the same band had a different opinion and said that seeing lots of people uh, coming back again together for such festivals was a, was pure joy. Yeah. So, you know, different, different, uh, ideas, but there were, there was even an appearance during the weekend from the president of, uh, uh, of Indonesia, uh, Joko Widodo, uh, and his team of ministers were there, uh, as well as the national police chief was also there Gosh. to say so that senior they were coming yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, not not yeah. just not just because of this festival though. They were they were they were there to also add that this very location where the festival is going on will soon be the same spot that there will be um, a G20 meeting. Oh, That's oh. the Group of Twenty okay. forum. Okay. It's going to take place in Bali this coming November. All being well. It will be the, uh, the the 17th summit of this international, you know, gov- governmental mm. group, and so he was there to to both. But he, but still, I mean, you know, turn up at a rock festival where the mood might not really be for such serious matters um, was it was an endorsement. I mean, he was pictured in the newspaper, um, you know, in casual wear, not in a suit to give this, you know, not in his political kind of uh, togs. So, mm. um, but it was interesting that they've uh, that they've made that. Uh, that kind of decision to yeah. get to to uh, so that's good news for them. Yeah, that is. It's um, things getting yeah, back to normal. Indeed. And the last of, of uh, today's uh, reports then um, is an obituary of an amazing man, uh, an influential Asian art collector and museum maker. His private museum in Shanghai, uh, and he's also got one in uh-huh. his native. Indonesia again, another yes. Indonesian connection. Um, to, he's helped bring uh, contemporary Asian art to the international stage too. Um, and his name, uh, his nickname is Boody, for that's short for his first name, which is Boody Ardjoy. That's his first name. So yeah, Boody is a bit easier to say. Boody and surname Tech, uh, a Chinese Indonesian, um, Indonesia born. Uh, person who grew up in Singapore. He was an, he became an influential collector who founded in his native Indonesia a private art museum and then a second one in Shanghai. Uh, but he worked also with some international magazines, uh, sorry, institutions, which were in LA and in the Middle East mm. to to do projects together, shared exhibitions. And he was he was 65, um, and he knew for some years that he had pancreatic cancer, and he just died on March the 18th. Mm. And according to an obituary that his family posted online at the weekend, um, he'd been battling it for six years, but just kept on collecting and promoting the arts until uh, just uh, just a few months before the end. So he was just impassioned by it, and he made his fortune in a totally different area. He was an entrepreneur who made an amassed a fortune that he spent on over 1,500 works of art, not only Asian, but also some Western pieces, which um, was a food, uh, a food industry job. He was actually in the poultry 
business, oh, right. which he which he set up off his own bat. It wasn't taking over a family business, and the profits from that he ploughed into art from 2004, which is relatively recent, but not you know I mean it's uh, just just under 20 years. He just found that he just loved the processes and the different mediums and the stories behind artists of collecting contemporary art. And as he started getting more and more works from both the East and the West, he had to find uh, places to store them because it was his own, promo uh, his own uh, premises. Well, a big, big kind of uh, warehouse that he had that he was showing them. And he thought, well, really, I need to uh, share this with the public instead of just uh, me and selected invitees mentioning. And that's what he did. And he yeah. opened... A museum called the Yuz, Y-U-Z Museum in Jakarta. Um, and that, that, for that first one was in, um, 2009. And then 2014, he opened the Yuz Museum in Shanghai, which took over what used to be an old aircraft hangar oh, from great. when Shanghai was less developed than it is now, but which had remained in the centre of town and was used basically for storage and this and that. And he turned it into a museum. And you know how, if you've been to um, some international... I, haven't, I still haven't been to M+, because it's been closed. I want to... I just haven't oh, yeah. had the chance. want to get there. But, but I know that they've got some very big interior spaces. But it's been purpose-built. But occasionally around the world where there are these large uh, buildings which are, you know, being not being best utilised or being used, but for things like this one, for storage in the middle of the city, he kind of... He got it redeveloped and made it a go-to place for art lovers. He appeared, in, in fact, in the US Art News magazine for um, five consecutive years from 2012 to 2017 in their top 200 art collectors in the world. Oh, wow. So... So he's quite a yeah quite, quite a, serious, a character uh, then he's done a lot yeah. in his life absolutely yeah yeah really and um, he wanted to help people in Shanghai get the chance to see also some Western art so there'd be these reciprocal um, agreements with different museums and the one in LA was the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and he first approached them and they would swap their exhibitions and have a, an agreement to either. Oh. Yeah, to show each other's work and, and, and collections or to work together to bring some big-name artists from uh, that, that they wouldn't normally have on show to tour in different places. They even managed to get Andy Warhol, the pop art, the biggest-name pop artist from the 1960s, no longer with us, from the U.S. And also another big one was Alberto Giacometti, who was a 20th-century Italian sculptor who did this very elongated... Um, bronze figures of people. Um, so he really did have a, a life filled with very impressive connections with fine art. Um, the, the museums, there was a group of museums that are simply called Qatar Museums in Doha, which are a scattered few different museums showing different types of art, and they too were involved, as well as the LA one, in doing reciprocal agreements of different shows of artists either from their native countries or from different parts of the world so mm. that's um that's mm. an interesting if you are if you are sort of you know confined to being at home and are into art there isn't a specific uh site really to see but you could go you could look up the yours that's y-u-z museum y-u-z uh, mm -hmm. yeah y-u-z and there's one in shanghai and there's one in um jakarta and you can look at what they have on show and the type of uh, 
projects that they've been involved in in the last few years. Great. So, so, I mean, things, I hope now, um, you know, things will settle down a bit. I mean, from the 21st of April, let's hope that restrictions are lowered and maybe some of the galleries and stuff, certainly in Hong Kong, may Mm. open up a little bit more for people to visit. But, I mean, it's... Yeah, we we do have to wait for the details on that in terms of the actual government-run ones like M+. The commercial galleries are still operating, keeping but making sure that they keep the distancing rules intact, of course. Uh, But there aren't specific rules for shutting down commercial art galleries. So the ones, just so that people do know, if they feel, uh, you know, comfortable doing so, there are exhibitions still going on, um, such as the one that uh, that you you played out last week, uh, which is at the... uh, Angela, the contemporary by Angela Lee Gallery, um, a, a veteran Hong Kong artist that I interviewed, Kurt Chan, and his paintings can be seen, some of them, on your Facebook yes, page. Yes, and they were really great paintings, and he looked fabulous. Uh, but it's, it's nice. So have you got anything lined up? You're, have you got anything for this weekend that you're going to visit? We've got about 50 seconds here before we go to the news. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, there, there, are, there aren't any commercial ones that, uh, that I want to, but what I do sometimes when I, uh, you know, I will make time to wander uh, around the galleries on, uh, on Wyndham Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, there's one called Soluna, which just recently yes, had, yes. Um, it, 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 it specialises in Korean art, yes. but that's closed. So oh, I'll just have to take potluck. Brilliant. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on today. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Andrew And that's me for today. Time is nearly three o'clock and Steve James follows the news at three. I will